Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. There's no replacing uh, having a copy of it for yourself. There's a pew Bible in front of you or uh, navigate there on your phone if you need to, but um, keep track of what I'm saying for yourself. Before we begin, why don't we, we pause for another word of prayer. Oh, Father, I humble myself before you now as I uh, would seek to preach the gospel and to preach your word, Lord. I, I ask for your help. God, it takes your spirit, Lord, to bring uh, heart-deep understanding of these truths. And Lord, we just pray uh, that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear, uh, Lord, what it is you are saying to us this morning. Uh, God, help us to lay down any distractions that we might have before us this morning. And Lord, focus these next few moments entirely upon you and your word. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we are studying the book of Romans together as a church. And uh, Romans, as you perhaps may know, is a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Rome. And Paul knew many of the Christians who had migrated to Rome over the years. Uh, in fact, at the end of the book, at the end of the letter, he actually addresses many of them by name. However, the overwhelming majority of folks who would be receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul were folks that he had never met. And sometimes I think uh, people think because of that that this, this letter was somehow impersonal, but we've been studying together here in these first few verses of the, the letter of Romans uh, just how how personal this letter really is as we study these, these verses together. Uh, Paul sent this letter, we saw last week, he sent this letter soaked in prayer for those who he was sending it to. He, he soaked it in prayer and he wrapped it in love and then he sent it full of confidence in the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the three points of what we talked about last week. And that, it's really that last point that we really only just mentioned very briefly last week that I really want to zero in on this morning, that, uh, that issue of how Paul really had just an incredible amount of confidence, not in himself, not in his own abilities, but he was really eager to come to Rome and to preach the gospel, and he was so eager he wrote it to them ahead of time. We want to zero in on that confidence that Paul had in the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is the gospel worthy of such confidence? Well, Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that the reason that he is so confident is it, in it is because the gospel actually saves people. It actually works. Paul tells the Romans that 
he's actually obligated to preach the gospel. If you look at verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Paul felt a sense of obligation to preach this message because Christ had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and had literally sent him to the nations with this message. So Paul felt a sense of obligation, a sense of duty in what he was doing. But that's not all that he says here. He goes on in verse 15 to say that he's actually eager to preach the gospel to them who are in Rome. So he's doing it out of a sense of obligation, but also out of a sense of eagerness. He's not just grinding it out here. Paul was no fool. He knew that the preaching of the gospel could bring very real suffering and shame. He knew that. And yet, he was eager to, to preach this message. He says in verse 16, uh, he gives us the reason why he's eager to preach it. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of it. I don't think that Paul was saying that, that he doesn't suffer anymore when he preaches the gospel. Paul was, after all, eager to preach the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus as Lord, in a city where Caesar was Lord. Right? He was getting ready to preach this message, Jesus is Lord, in a place where they, f- they felt they already had a Lord. It's kind of hazardous to your health right? <laughs> to preach that message in Rome. But yet Paul's eager to do it. He was eager to preach that Jesus is the only way in a pluralistic capital city of, a, of a, an entire empire. We think that we live in a, in a pluralistic society here in, in the tri-state area, and we do. Uh, but imagine Rome, who at that time had conquered the known world, right? It was very pluralistic. And he was about to preach that there is only one way in the midst of that pluralistic society. Paul was eager to preach the cross where a crucified Jewish rabbi wasn't even on people's radar screen, right? What are you talking about? This Jewish rabbi who was crucified and supposedly rose again, right? It wasn't even on people's radar screen. Never even heard of him many times. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, and that Jews stumble over it, and that Greeks or Gentiles, everyone else, thinks it's foolishness. Right? So Paul was, was familiar with the fact that the preaching of the gospel brings shame. I mean, he lived it. I'm sure that he still felt the sting of rejection and, and shame when people reviled him for preaching it. I'm sure he did. He was human. Right? He wasn't superhuman. He was a human being. And when people reviled him and struck him and arrested him and treated him poorly for the preaching of the gospel, he felt it. So when he says he's not ashamed of the gospel, he's not saying that he never feels that shame. He wasn't oblivious to it. So how is it that that Paul pushed through that suffering and shame to not only grind it out and get the job done and deliver the message, but to actually be eager to preach it? Well, we don't have to wonder about that. Paul tells us here in the next phrase, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, in verse 16, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it actually saves people. And and not just some subset of people, but any and all people, for the Jew first and also for the, the Gentile, for the Greek. Paul had experienced that saving power in his own life. He was radically transformed. He was basically a Jewish terrorist going around, taking people who said they believed in this Messiah, and he was throwing them in prison and putting them to death. He was basically engaging in terroristic activities, and the Lord appeared to him, and his life was changed, and he was saved, and he was transformed. So for that reason, he was eager. He knows that this message contains the very power of God to save somebody. But not only that, not only did he know that it it had saved him, but he had witnessed it uh, unleashed countless times in the lives of other people and see them transformed as well. Paul basically is saying here, look, I don't care anymore if someone is going to Shame me for saying this because I know that through it some people will be saved. So I don't think we should ever expect shame to go away at the preaching of this message. Shame will always accompany the preaching of the gospel, but even so, we need not feel ashamed as as believers, just like Paul. We need not feel ashamed. We will never, ever be proven to have been preaching something false, right? We will never be disgraced of this message. Um, Even in the short term, we will see the power of God as it works out in the lives of other people. There's no reason to be ashamed. So how do you push through that that sense of shame you may feel in sharing the gospel with someone who's going to reject you for it. I think it comes down to to having a deep conviction that this message actually saves people. I mean, pragmatically, it works. Paul deeply believed that this message saved, that the, the gospel works, that it's the only thing that works, and therefore that everyone needs to believe it and hear it. You know, when you, in your, in your life, in, in any area of your life, if you are convinced that something really works, it's really good, aren't you compelled to, to tell somebody about it, even if it's just something silly? Right? You found uh, a, a new gym that really works for you, or you, you found a great restaurant that's just amazing, right? And you're just compelled to share it with other people. Well, how about a, a message that has the ability to save someone for all eternity? The gospel saves people at, at a deeper level than any other solution to the human condition. You can, you can take somebody that, that has a, a, a wrecked life. You can see that, that they need help. And, and in your heart, maybe you, you might be moved with compassion to, to give some resources to that person to help them out. And, and that those resources that you give to that person, it, it may actually help them. It may actually even change their life in some way. But, but usually when you, when you try to help somebody in that way, eventually those resources that you handed out, you know, they, 
they, they dry up, and pretty soon the person is back in that same place of need the next day, if not the next month. Okay, so instead of just giving someone some resources, you, you decide that you're going to get involved, right? You're going <laughs> to not just hand them a fish, but you're going to teach them to fish, right? So he can feed himself. Even still, if you succeed in, in this kind of helping someone, some, teaching them, lifting them up, helping them to help themselves in some way, you're still going to sense that the help doesn't go deep enough. The gospel alone has the power to, to go down to the heart level to help all the way down to the root. The gospel alone has the ability to address the root need of our predicament as human beings, and that is that we are alienated from the God who made us. That is your biggest need this morning, is that the God who made you is, is angry with you because of your sin. And, and when I say you, I mean all of us. Right? We are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. That is the, the root issue at the, at the root of, of every single predicament is this bigger predicament that in, endangers you for all eternity. And, and let, hear me carefully. I'm not saying that we're, we're not to help the physical, practical needs of people. We are. As Christians, we, we ought to be helping people's physical, temporal needs. I'm, I'm simply saying that we shouldn't merely meet the surface needs because merely meeting the surface needs does not have the power to save someone from sin or to change their hearts. Mere surface help will never reconcile people to the God who made them. It's never going to do that. We need to be convinced that this good news, this gospel message, ripped from the pages of history. You know, that's what the word gospel means. We throw that word around a lot, right? It, it comes from the Greek word euangelion. You meaning good, like in eulogy or uh, uh, what's another you word? Slipped my mind. Like, uh, like eulogy, a good word that you would speak at a funeral. And, and the other half of that is, is uh, angelion, which is the word you might hear in there, angel. Right? A message, like you would send with a, a messenger. Right? It's a, it means good message or good news. It's news that you can actually point to, the, something that actually happened in history. Rip it from the pages of history, if you will. I think we, we sometimes confuse the good news and think it has something to do with us. It doesn't. The gospel is about what God has done. We report what God has done in history, in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's a, a, a body of information. It's something that you can learn and that you can understand and that you can easily communicate to others. And it's good news. It's good news. If you hear the central, me the, the central message of Christianity as something that is oppressive and as bad news... <laughs> then you've misunderstood it. See, Paul was eager to share it because he knew it was good news. If someone really understood this message, it, it's good news. Everybody wants to deliver good news, right? 
we need to be convinced that this news ripped from the pages of history contains a unique power to save. The gospel actually saves people. It actually works. It's like you're on a boat out in the ocean and you look out from the boat and you see there's a whole bunch of people just treading water out in the, out in the ocean and they're, they're getting ready to drown and you think, man, I, I've got to do something to help these folks. So you, you start throwing them some stuff. Maybe you throw them some food in, a, in a, um, a life preserver so they can float. And, and, and as you do that, maybe they, they look up at you and they say, is that all you got? <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to just have some food and water and, and, and something to keep me afloat. I want you to get me out. Bring me up out of the water into, onto the boat. And I think that's what Paul is saying, that he sees the gospel message as that answer. He's not just helping people a little bit that are, that are treading water and about to, to drown. He has found the one thing on the boat, the, the life preserver that actually brings people up out of the water, onto the boat, and, and to safety. Salvation. This message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, I guess it's my desire as uh, you know, your pastor that as we, b- we study this book, that we would pray. That we would pray earnestly to God and ask Him that we might grow in our confidence of this message being a message that everyone needs to hear. Right? So, it would be a shame if we studied this whole book and we came to know its ins and outs, but yet we kept it to ourselves. We have the words of life. And may we have the the boldness to actually open our mouths and share it with other people, even if they reject us. Why was Paul so confident? He was confident because the gospel actually saves people. And he goes on from here. Why is he so confident that this message saves people? Well, he goes on to say specifically that the gospel reveals that righteousness is counterintuitively within reach. That's my words. He says in verse 17, these are Paul's words, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What is the righteousness of God that that Paul speaks of here? As it being revealed by the gospel message. What is this righteousness that's being revealed through this message? A commentator by the name of Christopher Ash does a, a great job, I think, of simply explaining this. He writes that the righteousness of God covers three important elements. One, who God is, what he does, and how he does it. And what I want you to see here this morning is that while this phrase, the righteousness of God, does explain something about who God is and it does explain something about what God does, that in this context here in the book of Romans, it primarily is referring to how God does it, how God is going to save people. And, And what I mean by this, why this is important is because 
I think there's a, a misunderstanding out there about what it means to be saved by God. People from the outside looking into Christianity, they often see it as a self-help program, right? That God has given his, his commands, His rules, and we learn those rules and we try really, really hard with God's help to keep those rules and make ourselves righteous. That's a misunderstanding of the core teaching of what Christianity is. Christianity is not a self-help program to make yourself more moral. Christianity is a message that shows you how you can be made righteous by God. Made righteous by Him. So here, here's the thing. Let me step through this really quick. This, when, when we see in the Scriptures this phrase, the righteousness of God, it could be referring to the fact that God is righteous. It speaks of who He is, and that's very true. God is a righteous being. God in Himself is, is just, true, utterly fair, consistent, glorious, and holy. His righteousness is the utter rightness of His character right to the core of His glorious being. It's a direct quote from someone I read. Right? So, this could be referring to the fact that God is righteous, righteous and His righteousness is being revealed and you better watch out because God is so righteous He's going to get you. But that's not exactly what I think Paul is talking about here. Secondly, this could be talking about what he does, God's righteous activity. Everything that God does could be called the righteousness of God. So when God uh, created the world, he created the world in righteousness, right? In other words, God's righteousness is not just some static quality of his being. It actually characterizes everything that he does. God is righteous, when we, when we speak of the gospel revealing the righteousness of God, I don't think we're talking just about God's righteousness in his activity or in his being. What, what Paul is talking about here is that it reveals how God is going to save us, how he is going to make us righteous people, because no one is going to stand before God unless you are righteous. And this is what makes it good news right here, because Paul says that there is a in the gospel, there is a righteousness of God that is revealed, and by that he means there is a righteousness from God to you. It's something to be received as a gift, not earned. <laughs> it's something that you, you reach up in faith and you take from God and you say, thank you. And that's what Paul says. That's why he's revealing the fact that this righteousness from God is actually something that you receive by faith and you persevere in it by faith through believing it. <laughs> Just believing that it's a gift and that God is giving it to you. And it's so counterintuitive. That's why I say it, it's counter, counterintuitively within reach. We, in every area of our lives, we are so used to the fact that if we want something, we've got to earn it, right? From the grades that we earn in school coming up to when we get into our jobs and we're earning our paycheck, right? We, we intuitively know that in most areas of life, you will reap what you sow. 
you will get what you deserve, right? But when it comes to God, you don't want to get what you deserve because the Bible tells you that what you deserve is death. (laughs) And there's no erasing that. There's no expunging that from your record. Paul says that this is this teaching that this gospel message that he wants to proclaim, that he's eager to proclaim, is such good news because it's announcing the fact that, hey, you're never going to be able to earn this on your own, but God is just giving it to you to be received by faith. It's a life-transforming message when you receive the gift of God's righteousness. You lay down all your attempts of trying to earn it on your own, and you just receive it from him by faith. It changes your life. And if you can receive that righteousness from God by faith, and think that, oh, I'm, I'm going to receive this gift. Wow, God's giving me his righteousness. That means I get to go to heaven someday and be with him. And if you can receive that righteousness and then walk out the door and then just say, oh, well, God, thank you very much for that gift. I'm going to go live however I want. Then you've misunderstood the gift that you just received. It's by faith. You receive it by faith. And then you walk in faith. Day by day. Trusting not in yourself, but in him. And that's why this is good news. You can be saved. It's within reach. There isn't some Herculean list of of deeds you must do. There's no dragon you need to go out and slay. God's already slayed the dragon. You must only receive it by faith. You know, I think Martin Luther, the, the... German monk who lived back in the 16th century. Martin Luther is like many of us. He misunderstood the gospel message for many years. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk, and he's the man that God eventually used to spark the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, as I said. Luther, when he came to this these couple of verses here in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this, these verses are what Martin Luther wrestled with more than anything. I mean, it caused him some severe mental disturbance as he was reading this. And, and here's why. Because Martin Luther understood this phrase here that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, he understood it to be, it reveals the justice of God. Because that's what he was taught. That's what, the, that's what everybody believed back then. And, and he was so confused by that because he was reading here that he knew that the word gospel meant good news and that Paul was eager to preach this good news and yet he was being taught that the gospel revealed the justice of God and Luther looked up at God and he hated the justice of God. He, he struggled with hating God for this. Luther would actually spend hours in, in a confessional booth confessing his sins and, and he would get up off his knees and walk out the door and feel good about himself and realize that he was suddenly prideful about the fact that he had repented of all these sins and he'd turn back around, go back in the confession booth and repent some more and finally they just told him, go away. He was so fearful of of the justice of God. Now, you might say, wow, it sounds like that guy maybe had some anxiety issues, right? And, And he probably did, right? 
But I'll tell you what, Martin Luther had a, a grasp on the fact that he was a sinner in a way that I wish a lot of people would. And he feared the Lord and the, the promised punishment that the Lord said he would bring upon sin. And he intuitively knew that it, no matter how many good things that he did, he could go to confessional and, and confess these sins. He could go out and, and, and do good works, but it never, it, none of it took it away. It was all still there, and he felt it. He knew that God was still displeased with him. And so he's wrestling with this verse. What, what does this mean, good news? But God's going to get me. And I think a lot of people hear the message of Christianity like that. God's going to get you. That's all they hear. Is God's going to get you. But then one day, it dawns on Martin Luther that, that what is being referred to here is not a justice from God as in he's going to punish you but it's a, a righteousness that's revealed because those two words that's you can actually translate the word righteousness or justice here so it doesn't matter which word you use those are very related concepts he realized that it's a righteousness from God to sinners entirely by faith everything we've just been talking about Luther recounts that moment of discovery in his own words he says I felt that I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened and the whole of Scripture gained a new meaning. And from that point on, the phrase, the justice of God no longer filled me with hatred, but rather became unspeakably sweet by virtue of a great love. See, when you understand that God, even though He could righteously judge you for your sins, but instead He chose to make a way that He could justly give you righteousness, your heart, when it receives that, just wells up with thankfulness for what God has done. Salvation is within reach by faith. Sadly, most of us kind of walk around perhaps smugly trying to justify ourselves. We do it all the time. Even in, in silly areas of our life, we don't want to be proved wrong. Just last night, my, my wife, Michelle, was telling me about an episode that happened to her at the grocery store. She went to Aldi. And uh, if you know at Aldi, you've got to stick the quarter in, get the cart. You don't just get a free cart. You've got to pay for the cart, right? And you get your cart going around the store, and, and then you've got to wheel your cart around the end of the aisle there, and they, they load up the cart with the groceries. Well, my wife was, had checked out, and she was, she was ready to leave, and um, the, the clerk had told her to kind of do something with the cart, and then she wanted her to bring the cart back to her. To her. And so she did that. She was bringing the cart back, and the, the lady behind her in line got mad at Michelle. Can you imagine being mad at Michelle? I mean, sweet little Michelle. So they, they, the lady took the cart, and she rammed Michelle's cart with it. Like, get out of my way. Like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a native New Jerseyan, but you know, I thought, well, it's kind of like driving on the road. You know, it's no, no different. Um, road rage, yeah. She kind of had, she kind of had cart rage there in the in the aisle. And uh, you know, I just thought, you know, why don't we? How interesting would it have been to call Judge Judy out of her her recent retirement, right, and set up court right there in Aldi, and let's hash this out. What were you thinking? 
right? Like, wha- what made you think that it was okay to ram someone else with your cart? And, you know, she obviously misunderstood my wife's intentions. You know, let's hash this out. Let's justify ourselves. You know, we all want to explain ourselves. How dare you hit me with your cart? Don't you know what I was doing? Right? We do this sort of thing all the time. But the problem is, we, we think that we can also do that when we stand before God someday. That we're, like we're going to stand before the holy God who's never done a single thing wrong and we're going to explain, well, I did that because dot, dot, dot. Oh God, if you would just only understand, it's not really my fault. Right? That's not going to hold water. We cannot justify ourselves before a holy God. We need to be justified by God as a gift, by faith. That's the difference. The gospel reveals a gift of righteousness from God that is available entirely by faith. And, and that's what this phrase here means, from faith to faith. There, it's kind of a, a phrase that different translations of the Bible struggle to get right, but literally it says from faith to faith. And I think that, that literal translation is the best. It means that this righteousness from God is entirely received by faith, as I've been saying And what is faith? Faith is not a good work. It is simply opening up your hands. It's like you're a beggar that needs some food and you open up your hands and someone drops the food in your hands. That's what faith is. It's opening the hands and just receiving from God. And it it is so counterintuitive because, as I said, we, we so often in every other area of our lives, we don't behave this way. But when it comes to God and receiving salvation from Him, we can only receive it by faith with open hands. Well, Paul then grounds all of this finally here in this last phrase. He grounds it in the Old Testament scriptures. Because as I I said a couple weeks ago, Paul was always very keen to, to point out that this wasn't some novel message that he came up with. Right? I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to follow a message that only appeared about 2,000 years ago. Right? No, this gospel message is something that God has been doing from the beginning. But it has only recently been clarified and, and given great power to the ends of the earth through, through Jesus Christ. But it, it's not a different program than what God's been doing since the beginning. It's all part of the same program. And so Paul is eager to say here that as he's announcing that righteousness is available from God simply by faith, he points out that, hey, this is something God's been saying for forever, literally. And he points back to an Old Testament scripture from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4, that the righteous shall live by faith. They were saying it even back then. Righteousness comes by faith. Well, the gospel saves. I'm confident of that this morning. And I'm confident in the way that it saves, that it's not a a self-help program or a ten steps to self-salvation. No, the gospel reveals the salvation that is within reach because God has accomplished the work of salvation for you through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. 
the good news of the gospel is that you can receive God's righteousness as a gift and by faith. And there's no other message in, in the world that, that is powerful enough to save you to this heart level. And there's no greater opportunity than today to receive it from God. So let me pray for you to that end.